You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. It was a year ago in April that a survey was taken by the BBC of those who claim to be Christians in, in Britain. And the survey was asking them, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? More than 25% of those who claim to be Christians said they do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. I was looking uh, at some other fellows who write. Uh, Corbin Croy, he writes out of Spokane, Washington, and he uh, has an article that says, Five Reasons Why He Doesn't Believe in the Physical Resurrection of Jesus. He's a Christian claiming this. His research is awful. I read the article. His deduction is deadly. Let me tell you why. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and let's let the Apostle Paul tell us why. That's a very bad deduction. And as you're turning, just understand that that is a trend that's sweeping across our own country. As more and more uh, clergy, pastors, churches, believers are disclaiming of physical resurrection. And so Paul gives us first this statement in verse 1. I, Moreover, brothers and sisters, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to, to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James. That would be the stepbrother of Jesus, who uh, in his own mind uh, uh, was certainly antagonistic to uh, his supposed older brother claiming to be the Son of God. He was seen by James. By, he was seen then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Well, first of all, he makes this statement that there's been this... Uh, resurrection uh, claim uh, that we have here. He was seen, he was seen, he was seen. Now most of us here this morning have heard the gospel. I don't think anybody here has not probably heard the gospel here. I'd be very surprised if you hadn't heard it. That Christ Jesus, the Son of God, died for sin on a cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And it sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It sounds uh, unique and almost mysterious. It, it almost sounds really quite unbelievable when you think about it that this is something we're celebrating today. Uh, 
And yet I want to just say that those who put their faith in anything else that carries them beyond this life, it's so absolutely empty and hopeless and unverifiable, any other claim. We talk about heaven being real. We talk about, we know that death's real. We, we certainly see that every day. But we also claim that heaven is real. And those who have placed faith in Jesus will one day be in heaven with him. We claim that. And we're just saying that. But when you come right down to actually believing it, when you lose a close loved one, sometimes we struggle in these things that we say we believe. Sounds great, but I'm not really sure if it's real. I guess I'll have to wait till it happens, some of us might say. So Paul has written for us another statement down in verse 14. He said this, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Now he's talking about the gospel message our gospel message is empty, and your faith is also empty. Look at verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. He's saying there's no hope. Then he says, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who claim to be followers of him, who have perished, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pitied. <laughs> Because we're following something that just isn't true and how sad it would be if that was the case. And so this morning I want to remind us that as Jesus died on the cross, his very close followers fell into this very uh, uh, dark moment of their life where their hopes were crushed as they watched him being brutally murdered. Uh, their, their future became from, from light and hope to darkness and dismal. Uh, we uh, can't have any kind of power or, or hope in our lives if Jesus Christ is not alive today. There's just nothing but words, N- nothing but, uh, you know, motions we go through and worship forms that we do and expressions that we make that are all ridiculous if he is not alive. And so with that, I want to just cover three things about Jesus this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the proclamation of Jesus. What did he say? And so I want us to understand, I'm going to just work backwards. I'm going to start in John 11. I'm going to work backwards very quickly. You may not follow, but write these things down if you want to check these out later. John chapter 11, 25 and 26, he's talking to Martha, a friend who just lost her brother. She's in grief and sorrow. She even tells him, Lord, uh, Master, if you had been here earlier, my brother might not have died. And to that, Jesus gives this tremendous statement to her. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What a statement. But then he says this, and here's the confrontive statement to all of us. Do you believe this? This is the Son of God asking us, do we believe him? And he's been asking this question for 2,000 years. Do you really believe? Because if you do, it's going to have such an impact on every part of your life. You go back, John chapter 8, verse 24. He says, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I'm going to go fast. Sorry. John 6, verse 40. Just take these in. Verse 40, 40 and then 47. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you hear that? Well, do you believe it? 
Because you must believe this. He says, everyone who sees the Son. Now, wait a minute. I haven't seen him. Yes, I have. I have seen him in his word. It's not about eyes to see. It's about a heart and mind that receives his truth. We see it. We get it. We understand it. And then we respond to it by belief. That's what he's saying. He who believes in me has everlasting life. John 5, 24 says, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. But verse 18. But he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. If you don't believe in him, it's not a choice of uh, there are other options. It's either I believe in Jesus or I don't. And if I don't, I stand condemned before God for the very sin that he died on the cross for. Jesus made a statement that has been mocked by many. It was in John chapter 2 at verse 19 when he talked about himself and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Some didn't get it. But John, in his writing of that event, explains in verse 21, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Really, to clarify, we all know what he means. And Jesus would say today, do you believe this? Do you believe this, really? The proclamation of Jesus, you can't miss it. Well, what about the power of Jesus? That's something very important because many say because he died on a cross, that was it. His power was gone. His influence is simply in the spiritual realms now. Uh, he had a spiritual resurrection, sure. He left, to, he left uh, at the cross, his spirit left the cross and went back to heaven. And his spirit appeared in some kind of form that the disciples could see. And they were just, you know, because of their grief and their, their, uh, just their, their dismal uh, look of the future, when they finally, they wanted to see him so bad, they sort of invented what they were seeing. And it's so ridiculous to hear that. But his power is so critical for us to believe in him today. And he had power in two ways I want to express this morning. Power in his death and power in his resurrection. Who were And those things both were under his absolute control. And I, I want you to see this. We've studied this, but in Hebrews chapter 1, a favorite text of mine. And in Hebrews 1, you have this description of this one who went to the cross. And what it says about that event from a, a different viewpoint. That many miss this. He's talking about... God, who has spoken to us in various ways in times past, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus created the worlds, plural. He created the heavens and the universe. It is not an evolving thing. He created it by the very flick of his finger. He put things into space. But listen to the next verse. Who, talking about Jesus, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father or the majesty on high by himself. It says that he 
held things together by the word of his power. While he even uh, placed himself on the cross, he, uh, he, he directed the entire event himself. And as I consider that incredible thing that we're reading about him, it's just mind-boggling that we understand that this one who became sin for us, who willingly laid down his life, that he was in absolute control of the very event that we talk about. We think that the, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees and the, the uh, crowd that had been won over were the ones in charge calling crucify him. No, he stirred them to call crucify him. Because he knew he had to be crucified and nothing could circumvent that or we wouldn't be sitting here today. You see, he had to die. Sin demands death. Sin demands a payment of death. And Jesus Christ became that payment for us. And he was in absolute control, not because he was accidentally put in that position, not because it was just a sort of a timing thing and he wound up in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, it's because he claimed to be God because he was God and he fully orchestrated the cross itself. You say, how can it be possible? I don't know. I don't know how it can be possible, as Isaiah wrote, that he could be like a sheep before his shearers is silent. I don't know how he could be afflicted and wounded for our transgressions and take it. But he did. He did. He was treated with such contempt and cruelty. And how could he go through all of that and then cry out, Father, forgive them? How could he do that? He was the only one who could ever say on the cross to the thief beside him, Assuredly, today you will be with me in paradise. Who could ever do that, hanging on a cross, suffering like he had, and be able to say those words and have any say? He says, Assuredly, assuredly, you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine a thief hearing that, watching all these events and saying, This this man is either a lunatic or he's saying something so profound when he says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. He's, he's believing. He's the only one who was able to determine the very timing of his death. When he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he said, Father, I commend my spirit, and he gave up the spirit. It's something he did on the cross in his own timing, in his own way, in his own power. He was able to do that. Everyone else crucifixion typically would go on for hours beyond that particular time. And if they weren't dead by a certain time, sometimes they'd break the legs of these men. So they would eventually cave in and suffer and suffocation. And they didn't break his legs. They didn't need to because he mysteriously was already dead. No, he was powerfully gone. So he had the power to surrender himself. When you think about that kind of power, he had the power to set aside his royalty, step into human flesh, become a servant, and to discipline himself to do that. How could God, the creator, step into a human being? But he had the power to make that happen. He had the power to uh, you know, withstand all the mocking and jeering and spitting and, and, uh, and the, the cat of nine tails and all the whipping and all the uh, abuse that he took from everyone, the crown of thorns put on his head. He had the power to withstand all of that. How is that possible? He had the power to depart when he chose to depart. Even when his disciples saw him ascend, it was him deciding to leave. 
And he had the power to leave when he chose to. But he also had the power to rise up, as Nick read this morning before our service started at the beginning. He had the power to have a stone rolled away and life pulsate back through his body and raise his body up. Do you believe this? Then there's the presence and the proof of Jesus. I want you to go with me to a text that's in John 20. I'm going to start at verse 19. Then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Okay, they're behind locked doors. As far as they're concerned, Jesus is dead and gone. As far as they're concerned, the whole future that they had been planning on, the, the uh, loyalty to this one who they thought was going to rule and reign uh, in Jerusalem and conquer the world, all of that is gone. They're, they're absolutely crushed and broken, not knowing what to do, where to look, what to think about. They're just, heads are down, they have no hope. They're behind locked doors because they're afraid that those who arrested Jesus will come for them as well. In the midst of that scene of brokenness and quiet behind locked doors, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace, be still. Let me sidebar for just a moment here. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of heartache you're dealing with. I don't know what kind of family struggles you might have. Some of you hurt for your kids. Some of you kids hurt for your parents. There's all kinds of issues we all struggle with. But there's a living Savior who wants to step into your world and just breathe those words to you. Peace be still. Only a living Christ can do that, by the way. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You know what's amazing about the Lord? He doesn't give up on his agenda. <laughs> this could be the most tough time for these guys, and he's reminding them while they're sulking about the fact he wasn't alive, you still have a job to do, guys. You got the door locked. The door should be unlocked. The windows should be open. There should be uh, singing and praising because I'm alive with you right now. I'm, I'm here to send you on your mission. The very thing I've talked about while I was with you. They're, they're just still trying to wake up. Here's the Jesus who appeared behind locked doors. Okay, there's presence and proof of that, certainly. Here's Jesus who allowed those disciples to see his wounds, to verify who he is. This was not a ghost. This was his body, raised in the moment. 
Let me pause for a second. I didn't do this today. Last, last year I did, but back in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have any questions, because I read all kinds of Facebook and, and uh, all kinds of online comments about the physical resurrection, how could it be possible, and so on. And, and uh, why, would, uh, why would any of us be raised from the dead how we look like now? What ignorant statements people make when they don't read the Bible. Paul said that when you die and you're planted in the ground, in the dirt of the ground, you're a seed. And the seed that's raised will not be the seed that was planted. I've never yet seen a seed come out looking like a seed. Have you? Praise God I don't look like that. Praise God I won't look like this when I come out. Well, then, then people have to logically say, well, then we won't know each other. We'll all look different. I said, we'll know each other. Number one, I'm going to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to know things I've never been capable of knowing now. Oh, that's a good day. If you're in a wheelchair, you will not have a wheelchair in heaven. You will not need one. And I keep telling you, if you can't sing like a lick, you will in heaven. (laughs) And the ones who can't sing will be wonderfully in the front row. And those of us who sing beautifully like little birds will be in the back row in heaven. He appeared behind locked doors. He allowed the disciples to see his wounds. He addressed their commission. What a wonderful thing. Guys, this is the purpose that you're now going to have. This is why I came. Not to conquer Rome, not to conquer Jerusalem, not to sit on the throne today. That's later. Right now, your job is what I came for, to represent me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all things whatsoever I command you. That's why he came the first time. That's why he's saved us. And that's why he's sending us out those doors today. Don't go home and lock your doors and say he's not coming back. He is. But he's already returned once. He's coming back another time with a different body, folks. This body was simply because these guys wouldn't have known what to do if he hadn't shown them the proof that he had died. This was a special resurrection just for believers at that day. He's not showing me his wounds in his, in his side and his hands today. I, don't, I, I want to see the living Christ reigning over this universe, over my life, and is soon returning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who I want to see. That's who I need to see. Fourthly, he has availed himself personally to Thomas. Great story, isn't it? And we, uh, we take a lot away from Thomas in this story because he says some pretty bold things. But let's just see what he does here. Now, Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them. Now, we read in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to all the disciples, all twelve. Remember, Judas was replaced by Matthias, and uh, yet Thomas yet wasn't, wasn't uh, in that moment. So here's a special moment just for him. Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, well, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It sounds very coarse and crude. It sounds, it sounds very disbelieving, obviously. He's just saying what comes into his mind about life after death. What he saw 
what he saw in the, in the crucified Christ was an impossibility that anyone could come back from the dead after being treated like that. That's the whole other point of the crucifixion. It's to be a devastating, absolutely impossible uh, event in Christ's life to which no one could ever come back from. So anybody, uh, we, read in, we read in Matthew that there was this concern about protecting the, the tomb because someone might accuse the disciples of stealing the body. And that's been running through history so the last 2,000 years that somebody stole his body. And someone else says that he really wasn't dead. He, he, uh, he got healed and later on got married and had a family. Uh, all these dumb things that people say. He was brutally crushed, broken, every bone and every joint out of place. He was lacerated with a cat of nine forty forty nine tails, worse than most people. Uh, the Word of God says that his wounds were to the point where he could not uh, be uh, recognized. To make matters even more, the soldier who wasn't sure if he was dead put a spear in his side. Oh, he was dead. He was dead. And so Thomas saw all that. And Thomas is like, there's no way. If I don't put my hands in them, I don't just want to see the the wounds. I want to put my hands in them because I don't think it's real. You're just seeing a ghost. And so as he says that, he ends with his statement, I will not believe. You know how many people have and are still saying that today. I will not believe. For a believing, professing Christian who says that there is no resurrection from the dead, I just want to say in as loving way as I can, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you are not saved. You can say all you want. Well, he had a spiritual resurrection, and I believe in Jesus. But if he didn't rise physically from the dead, that renders him impotent. That renders him impossible to forgive sins. That renders him not God. That renders him not the creator. And to say that is a slam on the God that we love. Any Christian who says that is not my friend. Anyone who teaches that is not my friend. I will not call them a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. They're an enemy to the Christ that I love. Because every time they teach and preach that, they're sending their listeners to hell. As we uh, consider Thomas, verse 26, after eight days, these guys have been locked up a long time, but after eight days, uh, I don't know if they were staying in this room the whole time, but man, what a locker room that would be. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. So I guess they come and go a little bit here. And Thomas was with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. He's talking to the restless soul of a skeptic. Peace to you, Thomas. He's also saying in that statement, Thomas, I I don't hold you in contempt for not believing. Peace to you. I'm here to resolve the turmoil in your heart. Peace to you. Only Jesus can do that. 
as he extends that. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. There's a uh, famous painting by uh, Caravaggio is back in 1601 that he painted this painting of, of Thomas. And uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, translation of this text because Caravaggio had in his mind the idea that Thomas would have been so humiliated, so humbled by just the appearance of Jesus, that as Jesus then encouraged him to reach his finger or put his hands out, Caravaggio wanted us to understand that Thomas couldn't even look at Jesus. He was so in shame. And so he has in the painting where Jesus takes his hand and puts his hand in the side while, while Thomas is looking out in shame. I thought that was very interesting that this fellow would think that way about this text. But you know what? It makes sense to me that it'd be pretty brazen for Thomas to check it out like a scientist. Well, let me just see if it's real. Let me, let me go in there and look. Let me, let me see. There's, a, you know, there's no stitches here. You know, like, hey, just, no, there's a scab. Oh, yeah. So you can, just, you can just sense that, no, that's not how this is happening. It's so humbling that Jesus would stand in his presence. That, that was all Thomas really needed. But then to say, come on, you want to touch me? Go ahead. But then the Lord, for Caravaggio to say, the Lord would take his hand and put it there to give the full evidence to Thomas so that Thomas would believe. Uh, we're so down on Thomas. You know, I, I, I was playing this out of my mind about, about Thomas, uh, who he could have been. Uh, you know, Thomas is this guy who, who has been touched by the wonderful grace of Jesus. Uh, he is, he is, uh, the Lord has personally come to him with this moment in time to, to, to have this experience. And, and, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ this morning is not going to appear to us and let us see his wounds. He's showing us his wounds only through his word. I have this word that tells me about his wounds, and I have to sort of put my mind there to see it and sense it and experience it in sort of the spirit of Thomas this morning, which isn't a bad thing to do, by the way. But the Lord has a way of drawing our hearts to himself, and that's what he's doing with Thomas, and he does that with us. And he wants us to uh, come to him by faith today, if you haven't already done this, and just believe in him. That's what he wants. He wants us to believe. I was thinking about Thomas this way. He's, he's one of these guys. You know, in some sense, Thomas could have been the only disciple who could have said, I believe and I haven't seen him. He missed such an opportunity to be a a witness to the world of the only disciple who claimed faith in Jesus without having seen him. You know, Jesus has said, blessed are those who love me who who have not seen me. Those who truly love me who have not had a chance to see me, blessed are they. So many of us here have the experience of being blessed by the Lord just for the sake of our faith alone. Thomas has this tremendous experience, and he had to have this. So he's not that hero that maybe we want to see in faith. And he's not the one who would profess that I believe him, and you guys all you know, had to see him. But I, 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 I've arrived that I'm ready, to, I'm ready to claim he's real. He didn't, he didn't do that. That didn't happen. But when Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, 
Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What a powerful thing that Jesus tells him in this moment. One thing that Thomas has done that we don't give him credit for, we forget this. We think of Thomas as the doubter. He's labeled the doubter. (laughs) Thomas is the only one. He is the reference in the Word of God. He is the person who made the bold proclamation about uh, the Lord. He's the first person to ever proclaim that Jesus Christ was God. Look at the text. He's the only one who ever did this until, up until this time. Thomas, because you believed. But what did he say before that? Verse 28, Thomas answered him and said to him, My Lord and my God. He's the only one who ever called Jesus that up to this point. And so, you know what? Thomas may have need to have seen and touched Jesus, but Thomas knew in that moment to the point where he was taken to the farthest degree of faith. He knew absolutely, and he was absolutely committed to God from that moment on, and no one else had any more faith than Thomas did at that point. He died a martyr for Christ later on, proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Do you believe Do you really believe? If you don't believe, or if you're not sure you can believe this today, can I be a little bit honest with you? The book of Proverbs says that only a fool says there is no God. Jesus, God's Son, His only Savior, He calls out to you and I today on Easter Sunday of 2018. He calls out and He reminds us what He has said to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Talking about eternity. Jesus says that. And we sang a song this morning with our kids. And we can only imagine what it will be like when we walk by his side. And I can only imagine what my eyes will see when his face is before me. And I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. And I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Well, guess what? That's coming true very quickly. Jesus Christ is coming. All of life, all the issues, all the worries, all the frets, all the stuff, all of that is soon gone. And our Lord is coming. If you say, well, Pastor, I've heard that so long, I'm tired of hearing it. I'm going to tell you, don't you get tired of hearing it. There are some saints here. Can I say this? There are some saints here this morning on the twilight of life. And the one thing you want to hear is that. It gets more real the older you get. And you realize time is that much shorter. And that which I have claimed to believe better be real. And some of you who may get sick, maybe you get terminally sick, cancer comes into your life and you're younger. But again, you're dealing with vapors. You're dealing with a brief life and you're saying, it better be real. I need this to be real. And Jesus is saying to you, he's calling out to you saying, do you believe Yes, I'm the resurrection. Do you believe it? And if you believe it, it will change your life.
Not just not this weak stuff, not this adding it to your life. Another component to all the stuff you have. This is about believing in him and him alone. He is our only hope and salvation. Jesus Christ, the one who resurrected from the dead. And he's promising when he returns that in like he will resurrect us who are waiting for that day. We just believe it soon. Lord, as we close with these thoughts today, I ask by your power you'll touch Hearts and minds, first of all, affirm those of us who are believers with the assurance of your word again today. Thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for the church that is the living representative here on earth of you in our lives. That we become that living testimony of Jesus Christ as we go back into our world with an optimism that says Jesus Christ is alive and working and with me and returning for me. I have all the hope in the world. I have the greatest thing to believe that there is. I know my destiny and I'm living for him. While others just plug away at life, acquiring and trying to mesmerize their own life with things to shut out the realities of a world that doesn't seem to be going very well, governments that are all over the place. We're so bombarded by stuff we can't see the truth anymore, and kids are looking down at little toys and phones while reality is so, have, so escaped us. Lord, forgive us as Americans for losing sight of the foundation of our faith, what we are supposed to believe in. Help us to be real in our faith. And if we say we believe, God, help us to live like that in the day we live with our heads looking up for you, not looking down, stuck in time, looking down here, but looking up for your return, for your redemption is soon coming soon to us. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for salvation and for the living Christ that you are. We give all the praise and glory today. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you are in prayer right now, you can make that decision right here and right now, giving your life to the one called Jesus Christ, who created you, loves you, and gave his life for you, and then rose from the dead to verify that he's the one to trust in. You can have faith like many of us here have by simply saying yes to Jesus who's calling out, do you believe me? Do you believe me? Is there someone here today who'd say, Pastor, I, I today am staking the claim that I believe in Jesus. I've never made that decision before, and today I'm making that choice. I believe in him. Anyone like that today? Just lift your hand up. Let me see it. Just let me see who you are. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He gave it all for you. <laughs> 